Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Morning, everybody. Uh, I wonder whether you would pray for me this morning whilst I preach. And here is why I particularly asked that this morning. As most of you are aware, I preached this sermon already once today. Over in the South Service, they're all doing well. Send their love and greetings. I then get in a car and do not talk to the driver, but make this talk as much better as I can for you. So I'm, you know, refining it and I'm going, that bit worked, that bit didn't work and so on. So I get in the car this morning and I notice that the guy hanging from his mirror has a cross. So I say to him, I say, oh, are you a Christian? He looks a little bashful. He says, yes, but I don't go to church. So we get talking and we have a great talk and we find we know some of the same people and, and after a while I say, uh, Michael, it's been great talking to you, but I just need to spend some time preparing now for the next service. And he says, no, you don't. He said, he said you just have to prepare yourself. And he said, if you prepare yourself, he said, the Holy Spirit will work through you. I said, Michael, I need to prepare. He said, no, you don't. And he just kept speaking to me. And uh, he, he actually said at one point, he said, you know, he said, my boss has told me that some of my clients have complained because I tell them about God. I'm thinking, I can understand why right now. <laughs> so, so I am not as prepared as I, you know, as he's talking, I think I've got two choices here. I can either be really rude, Michael, shut up, I've got some work to do. Or I can be like, this is the word of the Lord. You don't need to prepare, just preach what's on your heart. So I'm going with, that was the word of the Lord. So uh, we'll find out, okay, as we go along. Uh, this is a new series, second week, Faithful Presence, Following Jesus in a Broken World. Nengi, uh, who's, who's back there, uh, announced this series last week. And just before announcing it, she said to me just quietly, she said, she said, that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? What, who came up with that sermon series title? So let me just break down or remind you, here's why we've called it this. I'm going to parse it from the backwards to the front. Hang, stay with me, it will work, okay? So we'll start with following Jesus in a broken world. You probably don't need me to tell you the world's rather broken at the moment. And it's broken individually or personally. You know, we have talked a lot from this stage about an anxiety epidemic a mental health epidemic. We've talked about the fact that London is the loneliness capital of the world. We've talked about the violence on our streets. If I saw right when I glanced at my news app earlier, we lost another man, young man, overnight from violence on our streets. There are great extremes of poverty and prosperity. I was in Victoria the other day, and right down the length of a part of the street were cardboard boxes with sleeping bags on them. It looked like an open-air dormitory for people who were sleeping on the streets. About two hours after that view, I was in Green Park outside a smart hotel where there was an even longer row, but this time it was luxury supercars. One, you know, a I was, you know, Lamborghini followed by a Ferrari, followed by whatever, just one after the other. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not sure that a city can cope for too long with those two extremes. So 
This broken world is personal, but it's also public. You don't need me to tell you that our political world is in the most extraordinary stalemate at the moment. It's logjammed. It's stuck. Nobody knows what to do. Whatever they tell you, they don't know what to do. And of course, at the same time, the debate becomes increasingly toxic. And people seem to have forgotten that there are human beings on both sides of this debate. And that we should treat each other civilly and with dignity and care and consideration. It's personal, it's public, but it's also global. The former Bank of England, Governor of the Bank of England, recently did a talk on the problems in the world, the top 10 problems. He didn't even mention Brexit. Where we are right now, that's in the, in the face of many of us. But when you step back and you look globally, you realise there's more people on the move, refugees uh, and the like, than has ever been in human history. You realise that some of the broken, failed states around the world provide some serious challenges, not just for the people who live there, but in the surrounding area, even in the whole world. Concerns of terrorism and who gets their hands on powerful bombs and the like preoccupy a lot of people. So following Jesus in a broken world, the question is, Christians have to be involved in this world. We live in it. We, that's how it is. Now, what on earth do we do? How do we live? Answer, faithful presence. Faithful means that you don't water down the demands of Christ and try simply to become like everybody else in order to get a hearing. Because although it sounds like it works, you surrender your very strength in order to try and become appealing. It's like Samson, who, whose spiritual strength and physical strength was in his long hair and had it cut and suddenly found he had no power. And when the church of God dilutes its spiritual strength and vitality and commitment to him, it becomes like Samson with his hair cut. And it actually has nothing to say and nothing to do. It becomes anemic and it dies. And that is the historically what always happens. So we're saying we want to be faithful. We want to make our peace with the fact that we are different. Some of us grew up attempting to be the same as everyone else in our class. You can't follow Jesus and do that at the same time. Not meaning to shout at you all morning, sorry. <laughs> it's Michael's fault. <laughs> uh, um, and now I've totally lost my... my uh, so we, we, we need to follow Jesus with all the demands and the joy that that brings. We've got a distinctive contribution. So it's following Jesus. Well, how do you follow Jesus when the world is so broken... Well, some people, not just historically, but currently are writing and saying, church, retreat. Do a strategic retreat. Get out of there for a while, get strong and go back again. The reality is that is simply impossible. In our hyper-connected world, it is impossible to retreat. My friend Mark says, lives, leads a church in Australia. Was, we were talking about this. He said he'd been to visit an Amish community recently. Now, the Amish are known for their refusal to have anything to do with anything mechanized. And they dress in quaint 19th century costumes, clothes. And he said he was talking. <sighs> Pray for me. <laughs> and um, he's talking with this lady, and she's behind a sort of a, a, wooden, a wooden plinth. And uh, she's 
she's, you know, dressed differently from everyone else. She says, it really works, coming away, not having anything to do. And he said, then she came away from the plinth and he looked down at her feet and she was wearing night trainers. And he just thought, it is impossible. It's impossible to retreat. And of course, what Jesus said was, don't get out of there, but stay in there, but be totally different. So that's what this series is all about. How do we do faithful presence in a broken and challenging world? And a great example of this in the Bible, and whenever you've got big questions on following Jesus, it's always worthwhile to go to the Bible and find others who must have been asking the same questions. Daniel's a good example. Let me just remind you of what we've read. Um, he is in the court of the tyrant king Nebuchadnezzar. He is a young uh, Hebrew, probably somewhere between the age of 15 and, and his early 20s at the time. And tyrant king, Nebuchadnezzar is the greatest king of his age. He's the greatest king of the Babylonian empire. He's known for his military strategy and his tactical genius. And he calls all his wise men, astrologers and diviners and magicians in. Incidentally, interesting that there's a great example. Daniel is amongst magicians and astrologers using occult power and he is working following Christ at the same time. Nebuchadnezzar calls them all in. He says, I need your help. I've had a dream. I need the interpretation and here's the challenge. I'm not telling you what the dream is. You've got to tell me the dream and then you've got to give me the interpretation. And if you don't, I'm going to have you all cut to pieces and your houses made to rubble. I mean, <laughs> high stakes. They were like, yeah, you can't ask us that. That's impossible. No one's ever asked that. That's totally unreasonable. Only the gods know and they don't live amongst men. Ah, apart from Daniel's God. He's very used to coming and being amongst men. So Daniel hears and interestingly, he rushes home, we're told. Now, it seems that his three mates who regularly surface during this book, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, seem to be sharing the house with him. That's the inference, at least. He goes home. He says to them, pray. And during that night, Daniel gets a dream, and he has the same dream Nebuchadnezzar had, and he gets the interpretation. So he's back in the court, Nebuchadnezzar, and he shares it all. And this extraordinarily powerful man, the most powerful man in the world at the time, falls at the feet of this young Hebrew. It must have been an extraordinary moment. And he says, your God is the God of gods. Wow, that's influence. This talk is entitled, I was given the title, Position for Influence. Well, there you go. That's influence. Nebuchadnezzar's on his knees saying to Daniel, your God is the God of gods. And then extraordinarily, this teenager is asked to be the ruler of Babylon, the greatest city of the greatest empire of the world. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego get promoted alongside to work alongside Daniel. How amazing. Let me give you a couple of uh, assumptions or presuppositions for this talk and then we'll dive in and look at four habits that Daniel took that I think will really help us as we look to influence wherever we are. The assumption number one is this. When we talk about being positioned for influence, we're not saying positioned for takeover. That is a very different thing. There are some faiths that say you should take over. There are some nations that are ruled by, say, Sharia law. Now, whether you agree with it or not, you have to conform. 
There are also some non-religious ideologies, secularism, and many secularists would say, Britain will be okay if we can get God out of everything. Keep it private, your faith, and live publicly as if there is no God and everything will be okay. Now, both those approaches are fundamentally different from a Christian approach because we say it is wrong to impose on others beliefs that they do not own. That we value the fact that people can live according to their conscience and consequently, there's multiple voices in society who are all speaking. We are called to be of influence but not to take over. That's one of the assumptions I'm making for this talk. Along with that, bear in mind that history says that Christianity has had the single greatest influence of any faith on the Western world. There's a book that was released last week by the ancient historian Tom Holland. And basically he says this. He says, I've spent my life thinking about the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And he said, I thought I was formed by them. But the more I've read, the more I've realized that actually I've been formed and the whole of my world has been formed by Jesus Christ and his teaching. He said, it's so second nature to us, we don't even spot it anymore. He said, it's like the air we breathe. We need it to live, but we're not even aware that it's happening. But today, rather than looking at that big meta view of changing society, I want to ask, how can you be of influence with the people you live with? How can you be of influence in the workplace that you inhabit or the community that you're part of? And how can we all play a part that uh, cumulatively gets to make a contribution to this city? And as I said, there's four habits which I want to recommend, I want to commend to you this morning because they're all found in Daniel's life. And the first is this, that Daniel lived as a servant. I mean, professionally, he was a civil servant. It says at the end of Daniel 1, he came into the service of the king. But of course, as Christians, we're all servants. I'm going to read you a familiar verse from Scripture. I want you to fill in the last word for me. Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your... Indeed, let's, we could do it with a little more boldness maybe next time. My driver this morning wouldn't have liked that. He'd have wanted a little more energy. So we'll do it once more. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servants. That is what Jesus teaches us. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. So if you are just about to start your first job, can I recommend that when you go in, you go in as a servant. You're not constantly quoting your job description and saying, no, that's not on there. I don't need to do that. Go to serve. Everyone loves being around servants. No one likes serving. Go and serve. If you are doing well in your career and starting to get promoted, can I encourage you to serve the mission of the organization you're part of and not make your career all about you? In every office, there's someone, and it's all about them. And that is antithetical to the way of Christ, which says we're here to serve. If you're senior in your organization and you're a leader there, can I encourage you that you lead in such a way that those around you say, I've become a better person and a better worker because of your leadership. It's servanthood. If you've got young children, serve them. Now, I appreciate that doesn't mean give them everything they want, but it does mean give them everything they need. 
if your parents are getting older, then serve them rather than expecting them to serve you. It is easy to inspire from a distance or impress from a distance, but the way to influence is up close. And the only way to do, get up close with many people is to serve them, is to serve them. You may say, well, where do I serve? Well, it doesn't matter. If you go into your workplace or your community with a servant heart, there's always opportunities. Daniel didn't get up that morning and say, I am going to serve the king today by interpreting his dream. He had no idea it was going to happen. But when we go in as a servant, there's always opportunities and there's always spaces to do it. And remember that service often leads to sacrifice. Service often leads to sacrifice. And actually, I think that should be the characteristic that makes us stand out. Lots of people want to do things for the city. How many people want to sacrifice for others? But that should be in our DNA. We follow one who's shown us about sacrifice and saved us through sacrifice. So it should flow from our veins. This week I had the privilege of meeting with Tim Pilkington. Come up on the next slide. Tim is the CEO of World Vision, and I'm going to be interviewing him at the Everything Conference on November the 9th, and he's going to be doing a whistle-stop tour of global poverty. I'm going to be looking at the state of poverty around the world in, uh, in just a, a fairly brief interview. And I said to Tim, I said, Tim, there are all sorts of good people who are working in the field of poverty around the world. How should Christians stand out? Tim said, Tim said they should stand out by the quality of their sacrifice. And he told me this story. Ray Norman. In Mauritius, uh, not, I'm sorry, not in Mauritius, in Mauritania, rather different. In Mauritania, the poverty levels are such that most, the average life expectancy of a man is 57 years old. They die on average at 57. And he's taken his family there. And they're working in development. And one day he's taking his daughter, who's 10 years old, to the beach for some much-needed R&R when a man comes out of the dunes with a gun. He points it at... He, he points it at Ray, and the first time the, the gun doesn't go off, and Ray throws himself in front of his daughter. The bullets, when they come, go through Ray's arm and through his daughter's chest. If you want 45 minutes of gripping video, then Google Ray Norman's name and watch it this evening. His daughter survives, they evacuate, and then, of course, they evacuate to get the medical care and help that they need. And then, of course, the big question is, do we go back? And why would we go back? Here's what the leading religious leader in Mauritania said to him, the leading imam. He said, please stay. He said, our people need you. He said, not only are you really good at what you do, but you teach us what it means to love the poor with our hearts. With our hearts. How many of us could it be said of in our offices, no, please don't go. You teach us to serve or you teach us to love. Of course, for some of us, the very thought of being a servant in our office or our family leads to fear because we feel like we've got something of a tyrant as a boss. That was, of course, Daniel's, Daniel's situation. Can I really serve someone who's quite likely to take and abuse the trust or the, what I'm giving them? But I want to suggest that it's a risk worth taking. 
It's a risk worth taking. In Daniel's case, his service to a tyrant nevertheless led to his elevation and countless influence in the years to come. You say, yeah, but it might not work out. No, it might not. Follower of Jesus, who gave himself and served not knowing whether it would work out. Knowing there would be countless millions who would not take his service and not take his life poured out. And that is the one we follow and the one we imitate. So my encouragement, all of us, wherever we are, if we want to influence for good, become servants to those around you. You can impress from a distance, but you only get to influence from up close. Number two, Daniel developed rhythms to sustain his life. He created rhythms to sustain his life. I put it like this because of a friend of mine who actually said to me last week, she said, the rhythms of my life are no longer sufficient to sustain me, so I need to change them. I love the way that was expressed. This idea that there are different elements of our lives, that we choose our habits and our habits then shape us. And there's, of course, habits around physical health and strength and fitness. There's habits around relational intimacy and being close to those that we love. And there's habits and rhythms around our spiritual lives. And this is what Daniel has particularly focused on. He's chosen his habit, and we find in Daniel chapter 6, it's to pray three times a day, morning, lunchtime, and evening. And whatever pressure comes against him, he refuses to shift from that. He said, no, this is my, even when it's the lions, the ravenous, unfed lions who he's going to be with overnight, he says, I will not give up on the prayer. Can you hear the ferociousness of that? Can you hear the commitment to that? That is the thing I do. No. It was a little while ago now that I decided that the great that. Nine out of ten opportunities to meet people for breakfast, I would say no to because I don't pray and have breakfast with people. It just doesn't work. I know I could get up earlier or I could pray afterwards, but it doesn't work. So I say no to almost all the breakfast meetings that come my way because I don't know about you, but I need the strength that comes from prayer. I need the life that comes from it. I need to be reminded that I'm loved. I need to be reminded that he's with me. I need to talk to him about the things that I haven't got a clue what to do about that are in my life at the moment. So Daniel gave himself to that. Now, my question to you, have you got rhythms in your life at the moment that sustain you? Some of you are in seasons of change in your life right now. You've got a new job, you're getting married, you're having a family. Your family are growing older, whatever it is. Now, if your season of life is changing, almost certainly your rhythms of life will need to change as well. Have you worked out how they need to change to sustain you in this challenging, broken world that we live in? William Wilberforce, of course, we often mention William Wilberforce here, is one of the most famous Britons who's influenced for good. It was he and his leadership that changed the slave trade, which this country was so involved with. A few, some years ago now, William Hague wrote this absolutely fantastic biography of Wilberforce. And in it, he says this. 
Wilberforce considered lying in bed late in the morning as positively dangerous. A decline in religion generally began in this way that it led to a hurrying over of the morning devotions. He'd seen many instances of private prayers being neglected and the soul always suffering in consequence. What do you need? What do you need to sustain you so that you can be influential in a broken and needy world for Jesus? We need to live as servants. We need to shape our rhythms so that they shape us. Thirdly, we need to learn to live by faith. We need to learn to live differently from others, believing that by doing what he says, it will have greater consequences. It's not just, as I preached to you this morning, it's not like I'm just picked this, we've got this random group of Londoners with different ways of living. I'm like, no, these are Jesus followers and Jesus enables us to do things by faith which nobody else will do. I'm very struck with Daniel. He's like, tell him the dream and then interpret it. And instead of going, that's impossible, he rushes back to his friends. And almost the sort of subtext is, wow, there's an amazing opportunity here. I, I would not, <laughs> I mean, not like, you know, this will be fine. I'll get the dream. But what is it about Daniel? What's this underlying confidence that makes him take what could be a tragic moment and say, this is a great opportunity? Uh, we could preach a whole sermon on this, but one of the things that underlying for Daniel is this, that the forces that shape this world are, do not render you powerless. The forces that shape this world do not render you and your influence powerless. You see, Daniel interprets the dream, and you can see this in the dream. Because the dream, in summary, is this. The Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be another three empires that come after your Babylonian empire. Now, as we look back with the eyes of history, we can see those three. He said, each will be strong, but a bit weaker than the one before. So that you had the Babylonian. Then we can see there was the Persian. Then the Greek with Alexander the Great, and then the Roman with the Caesars. And Daniel says this, he said, we'll have these four empires and then there'll be this little empire that appears that will be totally different from any of the others. And it will be like this little stone that will slowly grow and grow and grow and grow until it fills the earth. Now he didn't have the language for it, because this is like 6th century BC, but he could see the emergence of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Now listen, you can go places in this world to see the Persian, Greek or Roman empires or their ruins. You'll need to get on a plane or a boat to do it because they're dead. They're finished. They're over. But you don't have to go anywhere to find the kingdom of God for it truly is amongst you this morning. It's here. The reason we're in this theater is because the kingdom of God is still alive and growing. The rest looked at their height. If you were at the height of the Babylonian Empire, you'd be just like, man, the military power, the influence. Everyone thinks that way. I'm this tiny minority. But Daniel was like, I'm this tiny minority, but I'm on the side of one who is a majority, which is God. And consequently, if I get on board with his kingdom, it will grow and grow and grow and grow, and one day it will fill the earth. And I want to appeal to you not to give in to fatalism. Not to give in to, man, this world's too dark, too different. Who am I? What can I do? You are a member of the kingdom. You're a child of the living God. And he has said, I'm going to fill this earth 
with my blessing and then come back and renew all things. Now, when we have that sort of confidence, it changes the way that we live. William Carey would be a great example. Who's William Carey? He wasn't from a great family. He had not had a great education. Actually, he made shoes for a living in Northamptonshire. But he went to India and he would often say this. He would say, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And as we look to serve and as we look to get the rhythms right, I want to appeal to you to expect great things from God and attempt great things for him. Kerry got in trouble with just about everyone in India. He got in trouble with the British business people of the East India Company. They said we should exploit India for all the money we can. He said no. He said that is not the way to do business. He got in trouble with the Duke of Wellington who said I'm here to conquer this nation. Kerry said no, that is not a godlike way of handling things. He got in trouble with the intellectuals who said, oh, Indian culture, it's wonderful. We should elevate it all. Kerry said, no culture is worth elevating everything in it. And then right at the heart of it was this habit of throwing Indian widows on the funeral pyre of their husbands. The understanding at the time was the husband was a god. Therefore, if he died first, that the widow should throw herself on his funeral pyre and, and burn alive. And the British who'd been in India for a while, they said, Indian custom. We just need to allow it to be. Kerry said, not on my watch. He said, this is God's world and no woman should be treated in that way. And he turned it and the law was changed as a result. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Because in Kerry's belly, he knew, however dark it looked, however much of a minority he felt, he was part of a kingdom that would fill the earth. You are part of a kingdom that will fill the earth. And you live with that. Live with that in your heart. And it means that we conduct ourselves differently as a result. Finally, the final habit is that Daniel lived as part of a team. He didn't do this by himself. Influence is not a solo sport. It's a team game. He did it with Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego. And I want to appeal to you. You know, dear Michael, who I really liked, who drove me over here, and I, I genuinely believe spoke God's word to me, he's not going to church anywhere. And I was like, Michael, you need to be part of a community. You need people to strengthen you. And he was giving me all this and that. I said, come to my church. And I told him the times, and I've got his number, so I can text him as well. <laughs> but I want to say to you as well, don't stand on the sidelines. You need to be relationally connected. And if we're going to influence for good, we have to do that. We have to do that. We have to find people. I want to appeal to you, for some of you, there'll be particular things outside your immediate world, outside your home, or maybe even your workplace, and you're like, that's what I'm passionate about. Well, let's start a new connect group and say that's the focus. And give your lives to it and give your time to it. Not just for six months. Try 15 years or 35 years. And we give ourselves to these things. Of course, the most famous group, and there were many, many I could cite, but just because of the sake of time, just one, the Clapham group, with that, that which William Wilberforce was part of, they lived together. It was Henry Thornton, the banker, he bought this big house on Battersea Rise. And then he put another wing on the left and another ring, wing on the right, so it had 34 bedrooms. Now, I don't want to lose you right now. Some of you are thinking, how much would that be worth in London right now? 
He did that so that people could live together. And then he built two other houses in the grounds. And there was a whole community of people and they cared about the same things. And they talked together and they prayed together and they were known for the informality of their relationships in a very formal world. People said it's like they were a family together. And they talked and they prayed and there were others who came from Cambridge and, and Brighton and others who would come and visit. And then they'd go back inspired and strengthened. I want to just ask whether God might be speaking to some of us about working out ways to make our lives interlink in those sorts of ways that we might be able to be influential for good. Some of us are here for a short time, but some of us aren't going anywhere. We are not going anywhere. And so we can start to think long-term as well as short-term. And so I want to encourage you, and if the band could come back, please. I want to encourage you to do that. You know, when we have people around us, they encourage us and they strengthen us. You know, on the night of the abolition of slavery, Wilberforce said to Henry Thornton, he said, well, Henry, what should we abolish next? And Henry said, how about the lottery? So that was the next thing. Can you see the benefit of being part of a, 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 a family, a group like that? You know, I would have been, you know, on the nights that it's abolished, I'd be like, oh, please, give me a break. I want to rest. And I might need someone to say, what's next? Someone will lift my head. Someone will give me backbone. Somebody will say, you're part of a kingdom that's going to fill the earth. Do not act as a lesser mortal. Keep your eyes up. You're made in the image of God and filled. I need people to speak to me like that. And they needed the same. And it was a huge blessing. So I want to encourage us with all our heart to live with faithful presence in this broken world. Distinct, clinging to him. Servants, rhythms of life to strengthen us. Believing that this is a kingdom that will fill the earth. And doing it together in small groups and big groups for the glory of God. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we praise you for your greatness and your majesty. And Holy Spirit, I want to pray you'd just breathe through this place this morning. I pray you'd breathe through this place. I can see for some of you that there's dreams you've had in the past and it's just like the Spirit's just flickered on them this morning. Just almost just like blowing on embers. And I want to pray, Father, for those with dreams like that, bring them to life. Bring them to life. I want to pray for your blessing on connect group leaders and infor leaders of informal groups of three and five and ten. Pray your blessing on them. Pray your blessing on Alex and Jess as they start a new group in London Bridge shortly. Pray your blessing on all those who are leading groups. We pray, Father, that you'd show us the way. And I want to ask that you put servanthood in our hearts that we would not think equality with others is something to be grasped for, but that as we pour our lives out, we trust that in the right place and for the right people, you will elevate them for the glory of God and for the sake of a needy world. We pray it all in Jesus' name. 
And the people said, Amen.